Thank you again for being here. And also, thank you. I know it's kind of, it takes a lot of courage to bring the kids, knowing they're going to be in here with you the whole time. So, so thank you for doing that. And don't worry if they, if they cry or make noise. We welcome it. But um, we've heard the passage read for us tonight from Matthew chapter 26. Uh, I'm not going to go back and read these verses. We read them for you tonight. What we're going to do is go through this passage, and we have a, a table that's, that's spread out for us this evening. We have the Lord's Supper before us this evening. We're going to unpack what the Lord did and what we've just read in instituting the Lord's Supper. Tonight, on this Thursday, this Holy Thursday, we're going to celebrate and look at what our Lord and Savior, what Jesus did that first Thursday of the very first Holy Week that we celebrate as Easter. Now, pray with me as we get started, though. Now, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come before you tonight, uh, Lord, that you have not stayed silent, but Lord, that you have spoken to us, and we are thankful for your word, we are thankful in which we can read of this week, of what we celebrate, of your death, of your resurrection. So, Lord, tonight we just pray that you would speak directly to us. Would you speak directly to our hearts? Or would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see your grace and your mercy that is offered to us all? We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. There, uh, there was a French philosopher who I'm not sure of the year, but this French philosopher once said that he planned to start a new religion to replace Christianity. And the reply came, well, very good. All you have to do is be crucified, you have to rise the third day, and you have to convince the whole entire world that you're alive again. He said, and then your new religion will stand a chance. Well, the cross of Jesus, who is the Christ, his resurrection, it stands as the critical event of what we call Christianity. The cross symbolizes something for us this evening. It symbolizes something that we celebrate that really it, it is what Christianity it stands on or it falls on. Christianity stands on the substitutionary death of Christ, meaning that Christ paid a penalty with his death, but it's substitutionary, meaning that it was a substitute in our place, meaning it's a death that is actually meant for sinners like you, that is a death that was meant for sinners just like me. But Jesus, the only one who could actually pay this penalty, went and stepped in our place and paid the penalty as our substitute. If Jesus did not die in our place, then guess what? And this is crucial. If Jesus did not die in our place, then we are still under God's wrath and we are still under God's curse. That's the verdict that would still land on us. And that's not good news for us tonight, I assure you. Well, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then guess what? If Jesus went and he died, but he didn't rise again on that third day, then guess what? Jesus is a victim. And he's not the victor that we hold him up and we celebrate him to be. So tonight, I want us to celebrate Jesus as the victor that He has conquered death, that we are celebrating a victory over death that all of us are offered, that all of us can share in tonight. Many of you tonight may be sharing in that victory already. Some of you tonight may be wondering, is that something that I truly believe? 
Well, tonight, as we unfold from the passage that we've already had read for us tonight, as we unpack this, I want you to see what we are going to celebrate in just a few moments. I want you to see this table, this communion table, the Lord's Supper, possibly differently than you've ever seen it before. There's something very, very, very important that happens in this passage in Matthew 26. Jesus does something so spectacular that it completely changes the game. Jesus completely changes the whole ball game. Now, Flannery O'Connor, some of you may be familiar with Flannery O'Connor, the American novelist. Flannery O'Connor was asked one time to put her basic point of one of her stories in a nutshell. And she said, if I could put it in a nutshell, I wouldn't have to write the story. Well, tonight, what I believe that she is saying for us, and I'm going to be trying to put the Lord's Supper in a nutshell. I've got just a moment. I'm going to be trying to put this in a nutshell. But I think what Flannery O'Connor was hitting on was that a true story a true story to hold on to, a true story to believe in, a true story to stake your life on, which is what this story is, guess what? It can't be put in a nutshell. So I'm going to be hitting on just one aspect of the Lord's Supper. Just one aspect, but it's a very important aspect tonight. And by aspect, I actually mean the way in which we view, the way in which we actually regard the Lord's table. I want us to see tonight, as you can see, if you have the bulletin with you, you can see it printed. We are going to see that Jesus moves quickly from betrayal to betrothal. And that word betrothal for us tonight is going to be very important. And I hope that word betrothal is going to be important for you from this night on. And every time you come to this, to this table... I want you to think of the word betrothal. And I want you to think what it means that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, has offered Himself to you, that He has betrothed Himself to you. And we get to do something really exciting tonight for just a moment. We get to unpack that. We get to peel that back just a little bit, a few of those layers, and we get to see a little bit into the life of Jesus and what it means that He has betrothed himself to us. Now, on the Thursday night of the first Easter, of the very first Holy Week, Jesus, having already been betrayed by Judas, he's already gone and he's already received his 30 pieces of silver. Well, he's gathering with his disciples and they're going to celebrate a special meal. We were reading this just a moment ago, if you remember talking about the Passover. The disciples knew that it was a Passover, so in verse 17... What we just heard read, they come to him and they say, Where will you have us prepare to eat the Passover? Now, what's the Passover? Some of you may be very familiar with the Passover. Some maybe not. So let me read. Don't worry about turning there. Let me read for you quickly Exodus 12. I'm going to read just a few verses from Exodus 12. Listen to this. This is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood, listen to this, the blood shall be a sign for you. See, they were to take the blood from the lamb, the blood from these animals, and put it on their doorpost as a sign. So the Lord, when He came by, the Lord would see that blood, 
that was on their doorpost. Listen to this. The blood that they put on their doorpost shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I being the Lord, when the Lord sees the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Now this feast that Exodus 12 is talking about is the Passover meal. This is the meal that Jesus and his disciples were sharing on this Thursday night. So what we celebrate as the Lord's Supper, what we celebrate here at this communion table, we actually see Jesus, what he's done is he's replaced the Passover meal with the Lord's table. And people have asked the question, why with the Old Testament applying still Today, pointing towards something, people ask the question, well, why did Jesus have to, why was it necessary to replace the Passover meal? Why was it so vitally important to replace it? Well, it's actually, it's actually quite simple, but sometimes we kind of jump over it. We get excited about all the stuff to come, and we jump over this very important aspect. The Passover, get this, the Passover had done all that it could do. Here's what the Passover was to do. Get this, going from your left to right. Here's the Passover in the Old Testament. The Passover was to point to Christ. We have to see this tonight as we unpack just the next few moments. The Passover meal pointed to Christ, pointed to the cross. The Lord's Supper is doing something very powerful in that it points back to Christ. It points back to His substitutionary atonement that He took our place on the cross. But get this. Jesus knows when He's doing this, Jesus knows that He is only hours away. Get this. Jesus knows that He is only hours away from this old sign of the covenant, this Passover meal has done all that it could possibly do. It has fulfilled its greatest purpose. It was to point to Christ. So Christ comes in and He completely changes the game. This new sign of the covenant is His offering of Himself. And here comes that word. Jesus betrothes Himself to us. So He gives us this sign. He gives us this new sacrament, the Lord's Supper. Now, it's different from the old sacrament. And they, guess, have you ever thought about this? This is not a bloody thing that we do up here. This is not bloody. The Old Testament sign, that sacrament of Passover, was a very bloody ordeal in the, sacrament, the sacrifices that they would make. Jesus is saying in this meal, there is no need for any more blood. Because He knows when He institutes the Lord's Supper, He knows that in only hours, a few hours, that His own blood will be spilled. It's His way of saying, nobody's blood, nothing, no more can be done or sacrificed that could ever amount to what my blood will do for you. He has replaced it. He has completely changed the game for us. He's saying, not ever. No blood shall ever be spilled after mine is poured out.
for you. The Passover pointed to Christ, and this communion table points back to Christ. But get this, we celebrate this until Christ returns. Because what we realize in this supper will not reach its greatest fulfillment until, get this, until the bride, is, until the groom comes back for his bride. Now, who did you celebrate the Passover meal with? One last thing on this Passover meal. Do you know who you celebrated the Passover meal with in Jesus' day? You celebrated it with your family. Who does Jesus celebrate this Passover meal, this first Lord's Supper? Who does he celebrate this with? He celebrates it with the twelve disciples. He celebrates this meal with his followers. Jesus is grafting in every follower of himself into his family. Do you see that? He is offering you an opportunity to be in his family as the true king of Israel, as our king now that we know to celebrate that is now reigning eternally in heaven. He is offering us a seat at his family table. Now, if you are married, or you want to be married one day maybe, your marriage has the opportunity to be the greatest illustration to the world of what the gospel is. Your marriage has an opportunity to display the gospel to the world in a way no other relationship that we enjoy and we share on this earth is capable of doing. Now, even though the Lord's Supper is for Christians, although the Lord's Supper is for believers... And not for non-believers. It is something that Jesus calls His followers to do. Now this, this supper that we, that we celebrate, it is a renewal ceremony. It is for people who have entered into a covenant, covenantal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And this supper is a way to renew that relationship. So when you give your life to Christ, get this, it's like getting married. When you give your life to Christ, it is like you are marrying Him. And when you come to this table, you are renewing your wedding vows. Jesus has betrothed Himself to you. Every time we take the Lord's Supper and we think about renewing our vows, we need to understand what kind of husband that Jesus has promised to be to His bride. Jesus has promised to be a certain type of husband to his bride, who is a church. Listen to this. Tim Keller, in his book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage, he says this when he talks about counseling different couples in their relationships. He says, people often come into my office and say, I'm sorry, I can't give love if I don't feel it. I can't fake it. He says, that's too mechanical for me. If I don't feel it, I can't give it. I'm not going to fake love. Keller says, I can understand that reaction, but Scripture doesn't simply call us to naked action. It also commands us to think as we act. Hear this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This means, he says, that we must say to ourselves something like this. Well, when Jesus looked down from the cross, He didn't think, I'm going to give myself to you because you're so attractive to me right now in this situation. No, He was in agony. 
He says, He looked down at us denying Him, abandoning Him, betraying Him. And in the greatest act of love in history, Jesus stayed. Jesus stayed on your behalf. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not that which they do. He loved us not because we were lovely, but because He wanted to make us lovely. I'll end with this. I recently watched a video, uh, part of a series that Zondervan and Focus on the Family have, have put out. And in it, they tell of the way marriages were actually arranged, the way that marriages came about in Jesus' day. And this was very interesting when I was watching this. When a young man wanted to be married, he and his father would visit a young woman that, I know this sounds kind of not our culture right now, but when, they, when he found a woman that he had decided on, when he decided that he had seen a woman that he wanted to be married to, that father and that son would go to that house, would go and meet with the father of that daughter. And when they would meet, they would actually have to sit down and they would have to orchestrate and negotiate this marriage. Part of the negotiation was deciding on what they called, you may be familiar with this, the bride price. So this father and son would sit down with the father and daughter and decide on a bride price. Now these fathers would ask a great deal of money because these daughters were actually very, very valuable to them. Now the amount that they would settle on, people say, is actually, it's, it, it will compare to what you and I pay for a house. Now you and I think it's bad if we have to pay for a rehearsal dinner. Could you imagine if it cost what you pay for a house? But let's, let's get this. The young man's father, what he would do when they had decided on this bride price, this father of the son would pour a cup of wine for his son. And he would take that cup. And I've got one before me. He would pour a cup of wine. And that son would take the cup and he would hold it out to the woman. And he would say, I'll offer you this cup. What that son, what that young man was saying was, I give you my life. Now that woman had a decision to make in that moment. She could say no, or she could take the cup. And if she took the cup, and if she drank from that cup, she was saying, I accept your life, and I give you my life in return. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, says, Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. One commentator said of this verse from Revelation 19, hear this, In Christ the bride was chosen from eternity. Throughout the entire Old Testament, the wedding was announced. Next, the Son of God assumed our flesh and blood the betrothal took place. The price, the dowry, was paid on Calvary. It was paid on the cross. And now, after an interval, which in the eyes of God is but for a while, the bridegroom returns, and it has come, the wedding of the Lamb. The church on earth earns for this moment, he says, and so does the church in heaven. And you have an opportunity tonight of the Lord Jesus offering you this cup. The Lord Jesus is offering you His life tonight.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. And Lord, yes, in the greatest act of love that history has ever seen, Jesus, you stayed on the cross. Not because we were lovely, but because you loved us enough to not leave us in the state which we were in. Lord, would we respond to that tonight? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.